So since designs got invented, I think there's always been that big question of what is design. And I think part of the interesting aspect is answer, trying to answer the question, not necessarily getting to a concrete answer. Um, but I do think the tension is rising. And part of the reason why the tension is rising is because, you know, the, you know, I think for the good and the bad, design thinking has introduced a lot of really, uh, really interesting dynamic within the design community. Um, on one part, you have um, designers entering into the board level and, you know, really having a chance to impact um, organizations at a super strategic level. On the other side, of course, you can also see design thinking as a commodification of design, you know, something that you put into a three-step process and, you know, guarantee something like innovation. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, we talk with Antonio Stanino, a surf designer from Montreal, Canada, originally from Italy, who really caught my attention through a super interesting perspective he shared in a Medium article. In this episode, we talk about the design community at large and how new definitions have evolved in the recent years about what is actually design and how this was actually driving the success and really largening the impact of design. Hey, Antonio, how are you doing? Doing fine. Yourself? Great. Uh, yeah, I'm super curious about your perspectives on the design community mm -hmm. and the things that uh, they share that are in common, uh, but also the things that are maybe extremely different. You mm -hmm. wrote a super interesting and thoughtful article on Medium on yeah. that topic, and we're bringing views and ideas that are actually right in the center of the podcast, um, okay. the podcast topic and the mission, you know, what, how, and why design drives things forward, mm -hmm. um, and what is the impact and value of it. Okay. Now, so I'm really looking forward, and um, we will also link the article in the description. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe to give the audience a little bit of context, you know, who you are and uh, where you come from and where you live now and what were your experiences, maybe you can share that. Cool, yeah. Um, so who I am, uh, yeah, I guess uh, my name is uh, Antonio Stornino. I've um, essentially, right now I'm living in um, a place called Montreal, in Montreal Canada. Uh, and before that, I was living for five years in um, Italy, so Milan, Italy. Uh, and my background is really as a designer uh, and as a designer sort of evolved in different areas. Uh, started out in graphic design, did my bachelor's in something called design art. Um, so that one was much more around sort of mm -hmm. um, interdisciplinary design. Uh, and then essentially got really interested in the design's role and impact and helping um, shape, um, I want to say like organizations and became interested in, in the role of design thinking and service design. And eventually did a master's in that, actually, in, uh, in service design in, um, in Milan and Politecnico di Milano. I was part of the first cohort in the master's of uh, in service design. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing for the, probably the past five, six years is, is actively working in a service design role. And so that means working within sectors like healthcare, uh, telecommunication sectors, uh, mobility, um, government public sector, and helping sort of use service design as a way of re- Uh, imagining what their service experiences are, um, both in terms of improving their experiences towards their clients and thinking of new innovative ways to better serve their clients, and then also to sort of improve the way that they work uh, internally and, and within their organization. And that sort of led us uh, or led me um, to be really interested in things like capacity building and, and supporting organizations and, and building organizations' capacities to become creative from, from the inside 
in order to allow them to actually design services themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started doing a lot more capacity building, particularly in the past couple of years. And, and this led to a um, new design studio that I opened alongside a business partner in New York City uh, called Studio Way, where we're essentially doing a lot of um, de- using, applying design to ways of working. Mm-hmm. And so trying to understand how we can design new ways of working for organizations, particularly sort of leveraging um, tools from design thinking or service design um, and trying to introduce that within organizations, but then also imagining and understanding better what their work environments are like and helping them redesign their work environments or their processes and, and also their places um, in order to uh, in order to sort of foster uh, the sort of ways of working and the new ways of working that they're looking to inhabit. So that's kind of a little bit my life in the past <laughs> 10 years and, and 10 seconds, um, but yeah. that's sort of where I'm at now. Yeah. How's the design community in Canada and Montreal? I assume it's quite different to the Italian one, right? Yeah. Okay. So compared to the Italian, um, I think it's been really rich. I mean, in Italy, you were steeped in what could be considered design legacy. And and design legacy is really powerful. So when you talk about design, there's an importance there. There's a recognition that, that it's really important for themselves, for the economy, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of different reasons, right? Um, but it also, um, I think, can be hold back, um, let's say, the more progressive forms of design, thinking about the service design or design thinking yeah. um, from becoming widespread. And so in Italy, um, in Milan, um, say as a design capital, there's a lot of service design going on and, and it's really growing as a field. Um, but when you talk about design, there's still a very strong conceptualization of design as you know either fashion design or, or automobile design and sort of mm-hmm. design as a very much as traditional craft-based roots. Um, whereas, uh, in Canada, uh, it's, it's really service design and design thinking is super new. It's growing in the public sector in a very real way. Um, but, um, but it's still growing, but you, there's also an opportunity to, to sort of shape design, uh, in the completely new directions. And so I think, um, the way I describe design in Canada is it has a very exciting space, uh, for growth. Uh, and particularly when you talk about, you know, more alternative forms of of design uh, rather than just the traditional ones, I think there's a lot of space um, in a Canadian context uh, to have an impact in that way. So that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, you you made these experiences mm-hmm. in Milan, right? You know, being a services and uh, mm-hmm. uh, there, and you know, experience the contrast, you know, in the design community in terms of like how design is understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you switch to services and then? Mm. Um, I think the impact. And so um, I'm going to like my beginnings of switching to service design were actually just really uh, <laughs> quite simple. But in my last years in university, I had the opportunity to design a school garden project for uh, elementary school uh-huh. and to see it implemented. But um, in that project, as a designer, I was designing the garden. Um, but then I was also helping design the sort of um, Uh, instructional design aspects that would go along with it. So learning math and learning history attached to the garden and then designing the sort of website experience Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to understand how all of these things fit together. And, um, and so I got really interested in something that I was calling at the time, like macro design or designing on on a wider scale, not just designing individual things, but design how these things can work together in a a bigger system. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in, in, in designing things for multiple stakeholders And I think that was really it. I think that interest in designing for multiple stakeholders is what led me eventually towards service design. Because in service design, you're not just designing for a single stakeholder, but you're designing for the marketing, IT, um, frontline, let's say sales, 
um, like in all these different actors within an organization that form an organized ecosystem that all have to work together and, and, and work well together um, in order to sort of deliver uh, sort of cohesive service experience. And, and that's really what interested me. Mm-hmm. And then I got really interested with the idea of, uh, of, yeah, becoming, working in a more facilitative role. So rather than just being a designer, um, sitting in front of a desk, sort of shaping or imagining things on my own, I was really interested in, in stepping into the role of being a facilitator and bringing these people uh, from an organization around the table and using design as a way of helping them sort of reimagine um, mm. better, in this case, you know, better service experiences. Yeah. Do you miss the traditional tools of design you maybe were using at the start of your university mm-hmm. and education uh, now in your practices yeah. as a service designer? So I, I think the things that I miss um, are actually quite common when I talk to other designers that switch into service design yeah. coming from either industrial or graphic. Um, for me, I think the parts that I miss are the, the really the tangible parts mm-hmm. of it. You know, when you're designing graphic design, industrial design, you're making something and then the thing you made found its way into the world and you could see it and it was in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, in service design, your impact or what you're making is really kind of um, a lot more diffused. Uh, there, there, is, there isn't a one-to-one uh, connection there. Um, and so as a designer, when you're sort of used to that, sort of making something and seeing that thing be used, um, by particularly by an end user, uh, it's, uh, it's something that you can miss. Um, but on the other side, I, I still feel like I'm using a lot of my capacities that I gained as a graphic designer into my work as a service designer. I make a lot of maps. I make a lot of models. Um, I make a lot of artifacts that don't find their way to the end user, but find their way to the organizations and help them create alignment uh, in order to sort of use that as a basis to then make um, really important decisions. And so I still find myself using my skills. And so it's, it's not a complete sort of abandonment of what I was doing before, but definitely that aspect of making something tangible is, is what you tend to miss as a designer yeah. when you're switching into service. Yeah, yeah. I assume, yeah, yeah. also... Um, people who made the same transition, you know, uh, would uh, tell the same, the tactile crafts and aspects mm-hmm. to it. Um, you came to the realization of, you know, three design schools uh, or three schools of design in your medium article, which I found super interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe you can share a little cool. bit, you know, why did you start thinking about it and why why does it matter and, you know, what, um, what were the source behind it? Yeah. Um, and so I guess similar to how I was describing myself before, I have, I've had a really interesting journey in my um, design career. And it's really gone from, um, you know, starting from very traditional roots um, to then getting exposed to uh, a designer's sort of uh, capacities to have a social impact and really understanding and learning from, from those designers. There's a, there's a strong focus on theory and and my bachelor's and then moving into service design, really getting into uh, design's capacity to innovate and to solve complex business problems. Um, And so Within myself in that journey, um, I've also sort of grown up um, personally and started to feel a lot of tension in between those three roles. Like, who am I as a designer and, and how is what I've mm-hmm. done before yeah. influencing what I'm doing now? And how is what I'm doing now sort of an abandonment of what I did before? And what am I gaining? So there was always these strong um, tensions within me because I could see you know, in my work now as a service designer, there was, there was some critical discourses that I was missing that I had when I was working, uh, particularly during my university career. And then um, those sort of critical discourses um, 
uh, we're also sort of uh, lacking uh, the sort of, um, I want to say the democratic potential that I was bringing into organizations. So I just, I just didn't know what was right within me. And then in the wider design communities, you could start to see these, these conversations that were in some ways really conflictual between each other. You know, you had um, a lot of sort of um, designers that were unsure about what design was. And, and a lot of these conversations, particularly when designers say something like, you know, everyone can be a designer. Um, I think that's, uh, that's something I've seen sort of spoken about uh, in different contexts and that creating mm-hmm. a lot of conflict within design communities and be like, no, I'm le- I've been learning this craft for X amount of years. You can't just say anyone can be a designer. Um, and so there's, there's, or like conversations like designers are facilitators. Uh, yeah. and, and so there's been a strong tension uh, between these, these sort of different communities and particularly partic- uh, between different designers. Um, so I'll, I use Paola Antonelli as an example. Um, she's, a, she's a very clear example of a designer uh, that's very much grown into um, a space in which she's quite critical of sort of very traditional um, um, design routes that don't necessarily, or designers that don't necessarily recognize their social or cultural impact in the world, but then also very critical about the world of design thinking and, and, and how the world of design thinking might be um, sort of devaluing design to a certain extent or devaluing what designers do. Mm-hmm. And so um, it just sort of came to me quite, um, there wasn't, in my blog article, I talk about how um, there wasn't a strong um, research behind it. It was it was much more of an abductive realization on my side, um, sort of, that, that just sort of came to me. And part of the reason why it came to me was I'm also currently doing a master's in something called human systems intervention, mm-hmm. uh, which is around organizational change. Um, and one of the things you learn about within a master's like this is, uh, is to learn how to rise above the dynamics of, uh, or the organizations that you're working with. So you're working in an organization, there are certain dynamics and you have to learn how to step back and look at things on a wider scale. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really the space that I was operating from. And, and in doing that, I started to realize, wait, there's actually three different schools here. And there's three different conversations that are be ho- have, uh, that people are having around what design is. And, um, and these conversations are sort of not matching up <laughs> and yeah. people are speaking different languages and it's creating conflict. And a, and a lot of it is because the word design is the, what's getting thrown around. And, and there's a, I guess, perhaps a singular belief on everyone's side that there is a single type of design. Um, even though if you take a step back and you look at dynamics, you know, design is uh, really thriving and it's, and it's really getting explored in, in a lot of different directions and a lot of really beautiful directions. And, I think if, if you sort of hold that tension there, uh, there's a lot of space for design to have a, um, a really positive impact in a, lot of, in a lot of great ways, but you know, that tension has to be held. So that's what sort of prompted me to write that article. And, and, and the article was an exploration. And so it was me writing it, putting it out there and seeing what people um, thought of it. Mm. And I feel like this tension Ooh. is a little bit mm. increasing. Confusion is increasing. <laughs> so since designs got invented, I think there's always been that big question of what is design. And I think part of the interesting aspect is answer, trying to answer the question, not necessarily getting to a concrete answer. Um, but I do think the tension is rising. And part of the reason why the tension is rising is because, you know, the, you know, I think for the good yeah. and the bad, design thinking has introduced a lot yeah. of really, uh, really interesting dynamic within the design community. Um, on one part, you have, um, designers entering into the board level and, you know, really having a chance to impact um, organizations at a super strategic level and creating a space to, to speak mm-hmm. to, um, you know, people in positions of power in which traditionally designers haven't been able to speak to. On the other side, of course, you can also see design thinking as a commodification of design. 
you know, something that you put into a three-step process and, you know, guarantee something like innovation. And then that obviously doesn't have a, a sort of positive connotation within the wider design community, particularly with designers that have been working for a long time in, in, in doing this. And so that, that tension is particularly as this commoditization grows and design stops just becoming a sort of niche thing and starts mm -hmm. becoming a thing that, you know, people are sort of adopting and, and certifying themselves as to a certain extent. Um, it's going to, that tension is going definitely going to, I think, increase and particularly increase with designers that have been working for a long time as designers that have studied it, done all these sort of uh, gained a bachelor's in it and, or a master's in it and, uh, and now find themselves sort of their careers getting somewhat devalued by sort of two week or one week boot camps. I think there's a really great article by John Calco on this as well, quite recently. So there is that tension that's growing um, and that tension does grow to conflict, um, particularly within the design mm -hmm. community. And it does create certain camps, uh, camps or um, what I like to say, like it creates quite rigid thinking. Um, and so my way is the right way and the other way uh, isn't right. Um, which can which can really um, cut down on on productive discourse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I also really like how you were saying you were, were applying service design or service design methods basically to you know approach this uh, or you know define these different views basically mm -hmm. that are in the company or let's say in the community um, of um, designers. But now you know, maybe at this point you know the, the audience is wondering what are the three. Schools oh, cool. of design, yeah. <laughs> maybe you can outline the three schools a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, so the first school is the school that I think most people associate with design and what design's always been associated with is a school I call the traditionalists. And so this is a school of craft of uh, designers that um, when you ask them what is design, they, they look at it through the lens of their craft. Um, or they might look at it um, kind of through a poetic lens as well. I'm thinking about designers that are like Massimo Vignelli. And if you read a lot of his work, it's really powerful stuff. Um, but it really looks at design um, through his lens of, of craft, through sort of his capacities as a designer. Um, and, um, and really looks at design as sort of through, kind of through this sort of poetic lens, um, almost as an art. And so for traditionalist design, um, is very much tied to sort of this artistic endeavor uh, in which the designer uh, has, uh, has a capacity to, uh, to create sort of artifacts. Um, and so, you know, a lot of design, when you look at, you go to Milan Design Week, or you, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of traditionalist design, right? So it's still really much grounded into yeah. um, sort of graphic or product um, or, um, yeah, maybe even architecture. Um, you know, a lot of these sort of impacts on, on, on design through the lens of, um, of their craft. I would actually say uh, my feeling is it's at most of the uh, design weeks mm -hmm. uh, worldwide. No um, I think that is the, the focus uh, or that's the majority. I haven't seen a lot of design weeks that mm -hmm. um, are more on the perspective of the different schools you will, you yeah. will, you will outline. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And it makes sense because, I mean, that's what is tangible and that, you know, you can put a chair in an exhibition and people will know it's a chair and they can comment on the chair and they can have a perspective on the chair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it, it, it makes sense yeah. that, uh, that a lot of design is still there because it's, it's a design that we're exposed to and that we have, um, that we're, that we use and that, um, that we sort of associate with what design is. Um, the second school is a school that I call the cultural mediators. And this is a school that obviously is smaller um, and, and this is a school that essentially speaks to, that still looks at, at the individual designer, um, but looks at the impact of what the individual designer ha um, has. They look at it almost kind of like a cultural mediation. 
Um, and so designers don't just make a chair, but they make a make something that exists uh, within the world and has a sort of uh, societal impact on it. Um, and that societal impact can be um, one that's obviously environmental. And so cultural mediators have a very strong, um, I want to say, uh, attention to uh, the environment and particularly to a lot of social issues that are emerging now I'm thinking about climate change. Um, but then also um, looks at um, the, the impact of the designer from a social sphere um, as well. And so what, are, what, are, what is the, uh, the language of a designer uh, and their impact uh, on the politics? And so they, they really look at, you know, if I'm thinking about um, a, a designer that really fits exactly into this sphere, um, like a Paul Antonelli, she's going to be talking about, you know, design's role. Um, or the designer's role in helping solve some of the biggest environmental or political issues that are coming up. And it's still very much centered on the capacities of the designer. Um, and so the designer still has a mm -hmm. craft. Uh, the designer still is a, as a maker of sense. Um, but the designer, um, what is a designer, has a, has a much larger significance um, than just um, how a traditionalist might view their role, uh, which is very much geared towards the development or 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 improvement of their individual craft. Uh, as a cultural media, the designer sort of opens up and is much more aware of their of their wider impact. Yeah. Um, and so this is also one of the more critical um, um, schools. And it's also, I think, the school that a lot of, let's say, design academics uh, fall, them, fall into. And so a lot of the discourse or a lot of their, their ways of speaking or, or talking about design um, will probably make them fall into this sort of second yeah. school. I agree. Um, and then the third school is the probably the newest one to have emerged. Um, and I think it emerges a little bit off the backs of something like uh, people that, that work within or that could fit into school number two. But it's, it's, it's a school that's really emerged out of, um, I want to say, the IDOs of the world. Um, and so it's design's impact um, to have basically design's impact to be innovative. Um, also thinking about solving social problems, also thinking about social solving organizational systems problems. Um, but you know, the second school is called sort of the, the innovators. And part of the reason why they, they're called this is because they believe design's democratic capacity. Um, they believe designers aren't just the sort of artists in the room sitting back and speaking to, um, speaking to themselves to a certain sense or speaking amongst themselves in a, in a designerly way. They really look at design's influence or capacities to, um, um, to give that power uh, to several people or to, 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 to communities really uh, to help them design new innovative solutions to, uh, to problems uh, that they're facing. And so, um, you know, this is why, you know, in, in, in a sense, in, ter in terms of design thinking or IDO's version of design thinking, for example, I'll use them as the easiest example, most, it's the clearest, yeah. um, is, um, is really like breaking it down into these sort of five steps. And part of the reasons why they break it down into these five steps is to create a methodology, to create a set of tools um, that then allow other people to be able to participate as part of the design process. And so, um, you know, innovators tend to have a, this very strong participatory lens. Um, and, um, and really, the, the, I think the mantra is, is obvious for someone that's really deeply rooted in the school is a, a deep belief uh, in terms of um, the fact that anyone can be a designer and that design's um, true purpose is to be spread amongst a, a wider sort of community. Um, and so there's this aspect around design and innovation, and that's sort of what led um, design being used as a very core strategic tool. Um, so uh, 
a tool that enters into an organization, a tool that's being used for innovation, a tool that's being packaged into one week or two week workshops, uh, and uh, and then um, sort of used to help sort of solve business problems. Um, and so here, you know, you're really you're really sort of disassociating yourself from design's craft based past, and really looking at design as a way of um, helping. How, you know, you're looking at sort of ways of working as a designer and sort of extracting that and using that as a sort of uh, mm-hmm. innovation tool. And so people that are grounded in this, in this, in this school of thought really look at design as a, as a form of innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like how you outline and you know, conduct these you know, three uh, categories of understanding design. I really also agree to the you know, three mm-hmm. perspectives. Uh, what is your personal view on design and how, <laughs> like which school you would yeah. you know, uh, put yourself so um i don't know if i have a I, i think stepping back i'm not sure i have a very strict personal um definition of what design is and should be i think i think as as design evolves um and evolves in these different directions um i'm just i sort of just really understand and and, and look at design's impact as its ability to make people uh, make the world yeah. a better place really <laughs> so maybe um, uh, and 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 whatever levels that might that might play out for people um but in terms of what school i tend to find myself into is a little bit into school number two i think i'm i'm really quite interested in um i want to say uh the, the impact or the role of the designer and their capacities to solve um so uh, really deep social issues and, mm-hmm. and also the capacities to sort of understand it from a much more theoretical or academic lens. Um, that being said, um, I find myself obviously working um, majorly as, as a designer in, in school mm-hmm. number three. <laughs> uh, and I think that part of yeah. the reason why I do that is, um, is I think it's just a really strong interest um, in, in, yeah, I think in design's capacities to bring communities together to solve really complex problems. Um, and, I, and I find myself often working in within school number three quite a bit and then perhaps leveraging things from school number two to understand what that, how that works or why that works or, or understand my own role as a designer um, because I'm, I'm just seeing myself sort of being able to impact um, much larger projects uh, and then also being okay with not being so clear on this being a very defined um tangible mm-hmm. design uh, outcome um, like you might have within um, project number two or uh, sorry school number two or school number one yeah yeah I totally agree there might be a gradient between yeah. you know these schools and you know I think you know, a lot of people maybe say there would be you know in, in, in not just one school but like in two or maybe mm-hmm. even three um mm-hmm. so um but uh, you know you also were outlining some of the dynamics when it comes to the collaboration Uh, the attitudes between these schools, you know, how how do they collaborate mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, how does you know, school number two, you know, um, interact with school number three, or how these different perspectives of design interact with each other. I think this would be super cool uh, to outline yeah. for the for the audience. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things I brought in as a way of looking at this um, is a method, is um, I think a model that I learned particularly in human systems intervention, uh, which is the um, sort of Tom, Thomas Kilman um uh, conflict model or conflict indicators and so essentially the the, the model speaks to the idea that each person has their own mm-hmm. tendency uh in situations of tension and conflict uh to act within a certain um way and you know one of the other things we, we learned is that um 
beyond just individuals, entire system um, in this case, or entire communities can actually have their method of dealing with conflict as well. And so if I'm looking at the three schools, uh, each of these three schools sort of um, have their own ways of dealing with this sort of conflict. And um, the first school, the traditionalists tend to be what we call the um, the sort of conflict avoiders. Uh, they tend to be the people that sort of step away and uh, and just don't engage in discourse or they, they you know, their discussions or they, I mean, they have conflictual conversations and tensions, but the tensions tend to be reserved to their own individual craft. And so they're going to be talking about, you know, their own world or their own stuff that's happening within their own space, uh, but they're not necessarily going to enter into a discourse, a wider discourse on what design is. Um, and so that's a whole school that we don't necessarily mm-hmm. hear from very often. Um, and you don't really hear their, um, their perspective on things. Um, the second school tends to have a um, conflict model that is very much what we call the computers. Um, and so this is a conflict model that seeks conflict out and, um, and, and, and draws it in. And so they're the ones, uh, particularly in cultural mediators, because um, you know, a, a large part of cultural mediation also, I also say in this school fits in um, people that come from the world of critical design. Mm-hmm. These are the people that are going to outright call people out. <laughs> um, they're going to sort of um, t- tell them how they feel. They're going to be like, this doesn't, this isn't design. This isn't how design should be. Or, you know, they're going to be really critical around the two other schools um, if they feel that they're not necessarily engaging in a way that they feel might be ethically or politically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Paul Antonelli will call out um, uh, the traditionalists because, you know, they, they're not necessarily embracing their, their potential or impact within the design context or they're, they're not necessarily operating from that. From a, from a viewpoint of what their impact is as a designer, but then they'll also call, she'll also sort of uh, speak against the sort of design thinking community um, that uh, that tends to devalue design. And so, like, really, they're they're, they're really they're really quite um, open to conflict, and they're not afraid of it, and they and they draw it in. Mm-hmm. Um, the third school tends to become what I call the compromisers. Uh, oh, not not what I call, but in the model it speaks to as compromisers, and so they're they're the people that will try to find a way. To um, to find the peace, yeah. <laughs> and often, in, in my view, in, in the third school, it's, it's really a peace within themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but for example, like they're they're not going to be close to, to um, uh, other methods. They're not going to be close to other tools, at, at, or they're not going to be closed off um, to um, to just how I mean, just the other ways um, of, of working. And so, for example, uh, like a really clear. Um, uh, let's say design um, community within the second school is a speculative design community. Speculative design community um, really comes in and they look at sort of possible futures um, as a way of creating critical discourse. And and they take it really seriously, right? And Paul Antonelli is firmly rooted in in that community. Um, You know, in the third school, we'll look at speculative design and be like, that's super cool. Let's take those elements and bring it in. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and be really open to trying new things and to bringing it in, but bringing in perhaps in in a way that could, that um, you could say might be uh, seen as superficial from the people that have been practicing practicing this in a very deep way. Um, and so in in the third school, they they tend to compromise. And so whenever there's a con- there's a conflict or a conversation around what design is, they tend they, they tend to try to take and pull from different sources and to try to mash them together into a compromised sort of solution. So even IDO, when when people were really being critical around design thinking, where there's been a lot of criticism around that, 
they're going to be like, yeah, I can understand that there's been some issues and there's been maybe some superficiality, but in reality, this this is also this is the benefit and this is the other benefit, and so they're not going to they're not going to fight back necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're not going to you know start to say like actually you're wrong. Like we really believe in our things for X, Y, and Z reasons and really stand by their positions. They're going to try to find a compromise around it so that they can they can still find not burn their bridges uh, <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I really like uh, how your outline you noticed know, uh, how they interact with each other. Um, I think it would be mm-hmm. also interesting where you think uh, is the industry heading at large. You know, which of these schools are mm-hmm. you know, rising, and where do you see um, the industry is heading? Um, you know, maybe you know. I think you know if you look at universities, yeah. you know, how are they changing? Maybe there's also a trend mm-hmm. seeing. Um, so I'm really wondering about your perspective on that. Um, so I guess I'll speak to this at the top of my intelligence, but uh, I might be also completely wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think design in universities evolving in really interesting ways. I mean, there's the individual, I think, design programs or design-centered programs that are also having, um, that are, if I'm thinking about the program that I graduated from in terms of my university and my bachelor's, you know, they, they've um, been really sort of firmly rooted within their, I think, I would say the identity of, of, of talking about design as a, as a cultural mediator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that's necessarily changed. And I think for many universities, um, I'm thinking about programs like transdisciplinary design at Parsons or, um, or many interdisciplinary design programs. You know, I think they're, they're still going to be really firmly rooted within trying to create um design programs that help bring a new awareness and a new impact. I think you're always going to have the traditionalist schools. So schools that are, um, that teach very deep craft based, um, ways of, um, ways of working. Um, but I think where the biggest change within universities is going to come in and it's just because of the, the sheer scale of how it's growing is, is particularly in the third school design is innovation. Um, it's still not, massive and you still don't see a lot of i want to say traditional designers jumping into the innovations field but suddenly they're starting to talk about and teach design within business schools and suddenly exactly. you know, design yeah. thinking is starting to find its way within organizational schools and suddenly um design isn't just uh, relegated to design schools or design programs um but suddenly it's becoming yeah. um, a sort of lingua franca uh, in, in the sense of programs outside of uh, the traditional sectors of design and so I, whereas I think in universities, I haven't necessarily seen a big trend towards embracing different schools of thought beyond their realms. I've been seeing uh, um, other programs suddenly start to embrace design because the innovation community within design has really made that democratic for them. And they've really done it in a way that they've understood it. And, and they're able to take methods and tools and apply that to their work without necessarily having to rechange or redo the structures of where they're at. Um, and so that's been the biggest shifts in terms of where the design is hind- in heading at large. And for sure, that has an impact on the smaller, um, not smaller, but like on the other schools, like let's say the more traditional design schools, because they've been, it's been impossible for them to ignore. And so they've had to also sort of understand what that means for them. And, and to a certain extent, also bring that in, um, albeit within their lens. Mm-hmm. But um, so, you know, for example, maybe a uh, graphic designer might start to think about facilitating co-creation workshops with their clients, whereas before the relationship would have been very much, you know, um, I have a meeting with you, you tell me what to do, I design <laughs> something, and then, uh, and then that's it. Now you have branding studios that are embracing 
things like design innovation methods or strategic design methods um, in order to sort of improve their relationship with their clients, but then also sort of bring their clients as part of their of the, of the process. So I'm thinking about something like a Wolf Allins, um, or um, for example, that uh, that when they're doing a branding project, it's no longer just you know the expert design um, designers that think up a new brand strategy and, and present it to their clients. Now they're actively bringing their clients into um, you know, co-creation sessions or workshop sessions very much influenced by the innovation design community uh, in order to help them, you know, rethink uh, and collaborate together towards coming to with, uh, with a new brand. Um, and so it's much more of a partnership, much more of a co-creation. And that's been really interesting. I think that's been the biggest influence and, and most positive influence, if you want to say from school, the third school, the innovation school, is it's really taken designers out of their sort of protective shell yeah. out of the studio to a certain extent and really had them understand um, that in fact, no, the best way to come come towards something is to actually look at it as a co-creation and a co-creation between stakeholders that might not necessarily have been traditionally uh, connected to the design process before. Yeah, I think this is this is super interesting. Uh, also, you know, if you look at how design studios or consultancies repositioned themselves in the last years, um, you can also mm -hmm. see this trend, uh, for example, you know, calling themselves now uh, you know, every agency is now calling themselves, you know, strategic design agency, uh, not just a design agency. Uh, so there's also this trend on uh, the repositioning, I think, mm -hmm. on you know, of designers, but also agencies. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, you were touching on this, you know, intersection of schools mm -hmm. a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering a little bit, you know, where you see, you think there's an advantage of this diversity mm -hmm. of opinions and perspectives? Or you think uh, it's good, actually, um, you know, that, you know, there are multiple perspectives on this or yeah. you know does it more bad than good mm -hmm. um just wondering a little bit on well, that. yeah i'm always of the belief and maybe the belief could be a bit naive but i'm always of the belief that diversity is always a positive yeah um as long as it's allowed to flourish and as long as it's not allowed to uh to be suppressed or or controlled um i think the um, the conversation that's being held uh, around what design is and how design is evolving is a positive one and i, th I think it definitely helps um, build a, a more collective understanding between different parties. And I, and I really like talking about it when I have that chance to talk about it with people that I would say are from different schools because there's always different perspectives that emerge. And so I actually think that the strength of this is to not necessarily put strong boundaries um, and not to say design has to move towards a certain direction, but rather start to understand what have been the positives that have come out. So similar to what I said, the positives of the innovation community has been this sort of space where co-creation is, is, a, is a much bigger, um, has a much bigger influence. In this case, you know, the, the role of critical uh, mediation is that we, we need to be able to have those critical uh, discourses as, as a designer. We can't just sort of um, uh, either look at things through an insular lens or a myopic lens or look at things through a very sort of superficial perspective. And so each school brings with it uh, a really important um, pers um, perspective and advantages and, and disadvantages to their approach. Um, and I think um, when you allow for that diversity to flourish, then those positives uh, grow along with them. Um, the only thing is that we don't understand what the positives are and, and what the negatives are unless you're having a productive conversation around that. Um, and so that's that's basically where, where I'm sort of mm -hmm. at is that the diversity is super important and needs to be, ma uh, needs to be maintained and and these three schools of thought needs to grow, but we also have to have a um, an openness and conversation between each other and a dialogue on what the positives and what the negatives are. Because uh, I, I can agree that you know taking design and commodifying it within a, a three 
the workshop can have a lot of advantages in terms of exposing an organization to uh, to the value of perhaps different ways of thinking. Um, but it can also, in a sense, either the value design um, or, or in a sense, uh, design can be co-opted as a sort of um, super solution uh, or silver bullet to, to an organization's problems, which it's not. And and that's and that's the dangers. And then what ends up happening in that case is that uh, it obviously eventually doesn't pan out that way. And then sort of people are like, well, we tried that you know design thing and it's not working. When you know it's not really a thing, but it's an actual sort of um, uh, really valuable approach and method and not just methodology, but just sort of mindset. Um, and so it's it's it, these are always the dangers that come up uh, in in all three areas. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, when reflecting on your views in the article, I think I was also thinking that, you know, it's actually good that there are three different perspectives. Um, it's just uh, how, how they're collaborating mm -hmm. and the, the learning between them. It's more like a cake. It's not that like three different cakes, but it's one cake with different, <laughs> yeah. has different parts to it, right? And it needs maybe, it needs all uh, parts mm -hmm. to it and all perspectives actually. Um, you know, to make it complete. Um, and I think they're all yeah. you know, doing their part, maybe. I was going to say, when you have the awareness of the cake, <laughs> I think that also makes it much more interesting because you're not just, you know, you know, you're growing within your own area and your own sort of focus, but then you're also aware of how your area and focus might either collaborate with, connect with, or might not connect with other areas and focuses. And so that becomes, um, you know, having an awareness that there's a broader design community and that that broader design community has its strengths and weaknesses really allows for, for I think, a protect, um, really allows for, yeah, anyone really to sort of um, look at what their own individual impact is and look at ways that they can either better collaborate um, or create or at least add a new piece of the conversation um, to, the, um, to the conversation of what is design. Yeah, and I think this diversity is one of the reasons why design is so successful as it is at the moment. If you would just have stay with you know, one perspective, for example, like the traditionalist, how it was for uh, you know many years, and I think the yeah. um, the way we broaden the understanding of design is like one of the reasons why it's so successful. But you know, the downside is that it becomes much mm -hmm. more confusing. But uh, I really like how you point out the direction how to you know um, you know create more unity uh, in there. Um, yeah, and I would re, I would reframe actually I would reframe confusion with ambiguous, mm -hmm. and 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 part of the reason why I would do that is just because you know it's 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 design right now is really ambiguous, and I think it's um, and and as human beings we're not very good with ambiguity. Yeah. We generally try to um, uh, figure out and become very certain, and that sort of when, let's say, for example, if, if we feel ambiguous, we're going to try to make the situation that we're in more mm -hmm. certain. And so when design feels ambiguous, that means that we can become really drawn into our own individual camps and to become more stuck there. Um, and so whereas there's, I think, a general feeling of confusion in reality, I think that's much more of a connection to or um, a reaction to perhaps uh, the, the ambiguity that they feel. And so a lot of this is also being open to and resting in the sort of ambiguous nature of what design is, um, which is kind of ironic because often in innovation communities, they talk about um, the, the dancing with ambiguity yeah. or being in ambiguity. And then um, I think that, that, and then they become very sure about their own ways of, of being a designer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's about using that, uh, taking that and looking at it from a broader um, design perspective and being yeah, okay with yeah, that. I absolutely agree. 
really like it. Um, I think what's also interesting is looking at different disciplines. Um, you know, I was just wondering if you reflected on that as well, because mm. I think you know you were saying you know you, you're coming from a service design. Uh, you know, you you're practicing service design also. You may be more in school three, uh, but I think also mm. you know you could you know if you look at different you know design disciplines like fashion, product, architecture. Um, yeah. I, I oh, think yeah. there's also diversity when it comes to these um, schools. Yeah, and, and this is why this is even though I separated it into these three schools, I didn't. I was really careful not necessarily peg down. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's certain disciplines that fall more naturally into these three schools. Um, but I, you know, they, they, there's also that versatility or adaptability that someone that's an architect can look at things through a culture mediation lens or can look at things through an innovation lens. Um, someone that's, uh, including someone that's like a fashion designer or product designer as well, or even a graphic designer can look at, look at the work they do through a lens of innovation. Absolutely. You know? And so there's, there isn't a, um, a particular, um, uh, structure. It's more about the, you know, their viewpoints of what design is. Um, and so that's kind of how I approached it in terms of like the differentiation between design communities and how design community, uh, sorry, between design disciplines and how these design disciplines might approach the three different schools of thought, but for sure, a lot of it is cultural as well. And so when you're steeped in fashion design, for example, a fashion designer that goes to school in the fashion design and stays in the fashion design community will tend to have adoptions of, of a traditionalist just because culturally, you know, it's all about fashion design. Um, now you're starting to see fashion designers also look at their, their impact and role uh, within a wider community. So the sustainability fashion, Absolutely. for example, is a, is a big example of that. So, so starting to look at what their impacts are um, and, uh, and particularly around sort of, um, you know, fashion as, as a platform for innovation, you know, fashion designers are also starting to understand their role as, or, or their role or capacity as designers to be able to innovate on top of business models and to act as sort of, you know, we talk about design leadership mm -hmm. um, to look at their role in that sense as well. And so there's, there's that evolution as well um, that, uh, that's happening. Um, yeah. And so, and I think one of the interesting things as well is, is that we're also starting to see really interesting mixes within the design communities. Absolutely. And maybe we can take that from a, from the space of innovation and, and co-creation, but we're starting to see different multidisciplinary design communities emerge and, And something like a Parsons is a really great example of a transdisciplinary design program that doesn't just say, you know, there's uh, the, you know, one type of design or another type of design, but it's like, well, what happens when you mix all these different types of designs together along with a social science or along with um, um, the hard sciences, for example, uh, and, uh, and what merges from that? And I think that exploration is a, is a really exciting thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as you know, like you said, if you start to mix these, you know, categories with each other, I think they are really unique contributions that, you know, people can make also, you know, like you said, from, for mm. example, if somebody from a you know, traditional fashion design background, mm. you, know, uh, uh, you know, more practicing from, uh, you know, school two or three perspective, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, you know, uh, now like, you know, very valuable and unique, you know, uh, contributions, yeah. I think, you know, or somebody from, you know, maybe from a service design background, then, you know, collaborating with somebody from, you know, school one yeah. uh, to, you know, make it, tangible in the end i think yeah. the, the the mix between these you know schools and you know also you know, disciplines i think it's you know super interesting and you know it's i think there can be really unique positioning mm -hmm. um you know of designers yeah especially when you look at a field like data visualization um there's like such really beautiful data visualization artists right now 
that are really blurring mm -hmm. those lines. Um, like they are developing data visualization. So, you know, very much focused on the sort of graphic or the, the, the information design aspect of it, but how they're getting this information is coming through sort of um, data through, through digital data. And so that's forcing them to have to sort of open up into different fields. And, and they're also understanding that sort of data visualization is becoming a tool engine for people to understand and make decisions. And so that sort of entering into much more innovation discourses. And so what's really cool is starting to see people that are jumping between the three schools yeah. <laughs> and pulling stuff from these three schools and, and not just getting stuck into their school. And that's like amazing because the impact of that is, is really, um, uh, positive. Yeah, absolutely. We actually had a data visualization uh, person, uh, Shan He, actually on the podcast uh, two episodes ago. Um, she um, started to do data visualization at Uber um, and oh, nice. um, leading the yeah, practices yeah. there. Um, and also had a really diverse background from design, architecture, mm. mathematics, so uh, probably also along all three schools. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you know. We as a design community have to change uh, moving forward to ultimately drive you know, positive yeah. or have positive impact okay. in this world yeah. and drive things forward. Uh, what would be your advice to the design community? Um, be open, <laughs> be aware, be curious, um, have conversations. You know, if if you're a graphic designer uh, or a UI designer. Um, and you're really into your craft and you're really doing your craft and you're, you're doing that thing and you're attending all your conferences, UI conferences and all that stuff. Um, be really curious to other design communities and what other design communities are doing and, and particularly really curious to these other different design schools and, and what they might be talking about. Um, so I think that would be the first thing I would say in terms of really improving yourselves as a designer. And, 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 and part of that is going to be that you know, you might be open to different ways of doing things and that might influence how your practice grows and it might probably influence how your career grows as well. Um, and so I'm thinking about that from a through a traditionalist rounds from, if you're coming in from a design innovation space, like, you know, you have to be really curious in terms of how does a graphic designer work? You know, how did they, what, what is their craft based perspective? Because it can be really um, common for design innovation um, people to just sort of focus in on their ways of doing things, their methodology, the sort of, um, you know, five steps uh, in, in terms of developing uh, design process, but become really curious in terms of how other designers are actually working in the field and their ways of working. And you're going to be really pulling out a lot of interesting perspectives and ways of thinking that you're able to bring into the design, um, your innovation projects. Um, and then the last case in terms of the traditionalists, I think there can become a perspective that, you know, that criticality is really missing, but then also uh, very important, but then can also put a wall around you, you know, and so how do you, how do you build that bridge? I think if you're, if you're someone that's like sort of deeply rooted within sort of thinking about design and from a cultural mediation standpoint, you know, how do you build that bridge is going to be very important because I think their contribution is really important because they bring in the perspectives that make sure that people understand the impacts of what they're doing and and uh, and understand how what they're doing is impacting a societal environmental level um and and without that perspective um it's yeah we're we're just sort of chickens without the heads and we might just be doing stuff in a direction that might not be positive to the long-term picture of our communities and so this perspective is really important but if it comes in through a very sort of you're doing it wrong um, attitude, then they're just going to sort of shut themselves out. 
And so I think part of this is having, have, you know, the, I think the, the cultural mediators perhaps more than anyone else in terms of the design community should be the ones that are being open to creating these discourses, inviting these different people into the room together and, um, and um, bringing in their strong perspective on things but then also being open to, to understand how other people are viewing the situation mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I also agree. Um, I really like, for example, when it comes to design conferences, actually to attend to conferences that are not maybe in my home base of you know, design discipline. Uh, actually, I find yeah. this uh, always much more valuable to me to go to a design conference that is... Uh, where I maybe gain knowledge mm -hmm. that you know is more repetitive, or I know I hear things I, uh, I learned before. Yeah. It, I think this really helps to you know, broaden the perspective and you know, get empathy about uh, other disciplines. And I really mm -hmm. like how you connected it to that. This is actually a way to largen the impact designers can have, uh, because I think there's a, yeah. a really um, mm -hmm. connection here. Yeah. Um, Maybe as the, the last question, what is what do you think is the ultimate impact um, design um, or designers can have? Um, I think in the end, we are probably we're living in a, in a society that is ultimately designed. It's man-made or not man-made. I would say just people-made. Um, uh, so it's, it's yeah. we're living in a society that's um, uh, designed in many ways, and in, in, in which we are uh, either impacted by um, or uh, directly influencing the design decisions that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and, and sometimes those design decisions are actually a lot broader, a lot more micro than we think. And sometimes they're, they're just like the, the things that we buy um, that, uh, that influ influence design decisions on a broader scale. Um, or um, sometimes they're the, the, the things that we use um, that we don't necessarily notice um, could have a, a positive or negative impact on us. Um, so I think design's ultimate impact is to help move us towards um, much more positive and much more beneficial futures for, for everyone, for all of our communities, for, for humanity as a whole. Um, just because, you know, we, I think if there's one distinction to humanity, it's, it's our capacities to, to make and uh, to make things that we live in and that we sort of use on a daily basis. And I think the exciting aspect of design over the past century has been this recognition and this sort of appreciation that there is a craft and that there is good design and that there is um, um, something to be held for, you know, creating something that has a positive impact in the actual, in terms of the actual use, um, but then has needs to have a positive impact in terms of um, our futures as a, as a, as a, as a community, as a sort of, as a, as human beings <laughs> and as a, in terms of the environment that we're in as well. And so, I think that's the ultimate impact of a design if you're really looking at it at a macro scale and I'm sort of looking at it at a macro scale. Um, and then at the other part, I think the great thing about design on an individual level is that it helps us be more intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think when you're really doing good design, it means that you're, you're being a lot more intentional with decisions that you're making and why more you're conscious. making them yeah. and the impact that they might have. Um, and, and you're becoming more conscious, yeah. And so I think that the great thing about teaching design and, and looking at design as a mindset is that you're becoming much more intentional and much more open to perhaps um, exploration and, and, and divergence. Um, and uh, yeah, and just trying new things, hopefully, um, and exploring new spaces. 
Um, but particularly the important part is that intentionality. And I think that's what design can bring, at least on an individual, personal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like how you're pointing out you know, how design is driving a more intentional mm -hmm. decision making across the industries yeah. and problems. Uh, really liking it. Yeah, thank you so much. No thank you, Sebastian. This has uh, been a great uh, experience for me. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.